Good morning. Okay, let's pray before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray for Pastor Bill and Patty as they're on a well-deserved vacation. Just give them a time of rest and to just, just fill them up with your love and your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you be with us right now. Prepare our hearts. Help me to present your word as you'd want it presented. And help others to receive it. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I have a question for everybody. Do you guys believe there's such a thing as a spiritual realm? That we can't see it, but it's still there? Okay. Just as you can't see the radio waves or the electrical signals that work the Wi-Fi around here, we use them every day. We just don't know what's going on around us, right? Okay. So today I'm going to go over a few things that will give us a glimpse of what goes on behind the scenes in the Bible that we should be aware of and that we can't see them. It would take several weeks to go over all the areas that this could cover, but we're just going to touch on a few of them today. I remember when Leslie and I were teaching the kids' classes a long time ago, and we had some green T-shirts made up that said the Lord's Army on it. And uh, the kids would wear the shirts, and we'd march around the room singing together. You probably heard this song. You guys ready? Maybe sing it with me if you know it. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to say it. I may never march in the infantry, shoot the artillery, or ride in the cavalry. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's Army. Yes, sir. And we'd walk around the class, and the kids had a ball. They'd trip over each other and have fun and grab each other, and we just had a good time when we were teaching the kids. In 1 Corinthians 13.11, it says, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So today I want to go over some things that we as adults need to know to be in the Lord's army. I was reading a book by David Jeremiah, and he talked about another book that he read. And it was recommended reading for the CIA, the Marine Corps, business leaders, the entertainment industry, education, sports, politics, and many other fields. It was written over 2,600 years ago in ancient China. It's called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. You guys have probably heard it before. Had three things. First, it said, if you know your enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. Second, he said, if you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer defeat. Third, If you know neither your enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in almost every battle. Seems like pretty good advice to me, so let's see what the Bible says about the enemy and ourselves. In Numbers 13, 17, it says, Then Moses sent sent spies out to the land of Canaan and said, Go up this way to the south, go up to the mountains, and see what the land is like, whether the people that dwell there are strong or weak, few or many. Here we see Moses who wanted some information about the enemy before he went to war. In Joshua 2.1 it says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to a house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Here we see Joshua also wanted some information about the enemy before he went to war. In Luke 14.31 it says, 
Or what king going to make war against another king does not first sit down and consider whether he is able with his 10,000 to meet against him with 20,000? Jesus knows the importance of knowing your enemy more than anybody else. So who is the enemy? You guys know who the enemy is? I think you do. Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So as we read here, we're not fighting against people. It's a spiritual battle, isn't it? Remember, our flesh has no power in this area. This battle can only be fought by God and through prayer. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I remember going to some men's retreats a long time ago, and we'd, there was a man, they'd always had this little cardboard thing cut out of a man kneeling down, and he was praying. And on the bottom it said, Men at work. And that's how we can accomplish more on our knees than any other way. Right? So we should all be in prayer. Remember that. Remember, we meet on Tuesdays and Wednesdays from the announcement guy for prayer. So don't forget prayer. Okay, back to Ephesians 6. Here we see the different rankings of spiritual forces and the supernatural spiritual powers. So it starts out with the rankings. It has the principalities, and there is head officers or magistrates of angels and demons for good and evil. Powers are the lower-ranking officers or authorities or jurisdictions, and that's for good or evil also. Then we go to rulers of darkness, and they're behind the, the wealth, government leaders, Hollywood, and education. And then there's spiritual hosts. They're behind the different religions of the world. As we watch the news today, can you see different governments behind the making of the new world order? Do you see spiritual backing in that? It's going just like the Bible says, doesn't it? Could there be spiritual powers influencing the world and their leaders today? When you look at television 40 years ago, do you see a difference 40 years ago and today? How we've slipped that slippery slope to evil. We sure do. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, not lovers of what is good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. As the world gets darker, we have an opportunity to be lights for Jesus. Matthew 5.14 says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do we light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and they give lights to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your shine be, light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So I believe we're living in the last days and we need to be in God's word more than ever and let our light shine before men and glorify God, don't we? We need to pray for boldness. First Peter 3.14 says, But even if you should suffer what it's doing right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Always remember, we don't need to live in fear. 
Satan is powerful, right? But he's not God's equal. He is a created being of God. And Satan's power is more equal to the angel Gabriel than God. Remember, one-third of the angels fell and became the devil's worker, but two-thirds stayed and helped our Lord. So we have the majority, don't we? But don't be fooled by thinking Satan has no power in this world, because he does. But God has to allow it. Let's read a story from the book of Acts as an example. In Acts 19.11, it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name, excuse me, they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Send seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, they were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered him, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. That was about 50,000 days of work for the common labor. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. We should respect the power of the enemy, right? But we're not supposed to walk around in fear of him, right? In Jude 1.9 it says, But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Even Michael the archangel didn't try to overpower Satan without the Lord's name. The only power we have is because Jesus is living in us, right? Okay. John, 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Always remember that. In Luke 10, 1, it says, When Jesus sent them out two by two, preaching the gospel and healing the sick, they all marveled that the spirits would submit to them in Jesus' name. I'll read part of it in Luke chapter 10, 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He, Jesus, replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that your spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We need to make sure that our names are written in heaven. As the day grows near, make sure your name is in the book of life. It's interesting that Jesus throws in that verse and he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven. It's kind of like he's given us a little warning of how pride got a hold of Satan. So we need to be very careful not to get too prideful. I heard that Chuck Smith used to say to the men in ministry, never touch the money, the women, or God's glory. How did Satan go from being the number one angel in heaven to being God's enemy? In the beginning, God created the garden on the earth 
in chapter 3 of Genesis. It's there, it says there was a serpent who we know as the devil, Lucifer or Satan or the dragon. And he rebelled against God and the authority of God. Let's look at what the Bible says about Satan and what he's like. Isaiah fourteen thirteen says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Hmm. I will, I will, I will. Here's another verse that shows the pride of how got a hold of Satan and he attempted to exalt himself above God. He made a bad choice, didn't he? In James 4.10 it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. It's never good when we try and exalt ourselves, so we should never do that. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, How the enemy is always trying to deceive the unbelievers in this world. It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan blinds the world by giving false answers, like evolution instead of creation, or other worldly philosophies that distract us from the truth. Have you ever watched Ray Comfort as he shares the gospel? On his website, livingwaters.com, He's the person who wrote the good person test in the back. If you haven't read it, there's some back there. And he has videos of himself witnessing to almost every type of situation that you'll encounter as you go out into the world to share the gospel. And he uses God's word to correct their wrong doctrine and beliefs. And you'd be surprised how far off the truth they are. You know, some people just don't know the truth, and that's our job to give it to them, right? I remember when Leslie and I first started coming to this church, Pastor Bill was teaching us about being equipped for sharing the gospel. He gave us an example you guys probably remember. It was about the electrician. He came to a person's house to fix the wiring, but when he got there, he didn't bring a meter to check the power. He didn't bring a ladder. He didn't have the parts he needed, and he couldn't fix the problem. That really made me think about the Word of God. Each week as we went to the men's study, Pastor Bill would go over the verses that we needed to memorize in order to be equipped for ministry. I don't have a very good memory, and I have to do it over and over and over to to retain it. And that's exactly what he did. At the beginning of the men's study, he would ask us, Okay, guys, who has their memory verses all memorized? We had to say them to him, and and I remember the pressure going, Oh, I don't know that one. Uh, I better work on that one. At the beginning of the men's study, he would always say these things, and we'd have to dig in to God's Word. And I pray that all of us here are studying and help people to see the truth of God's Word. If every week that you came to church, you memorized something Pastor Bill had taught, you'd be really full of the Bible. So that's our goal here, is to be well taught. In Acts twenty six sixteen, it says, Jesus said to Paul, Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to point you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Remember, as we read before, the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers. 
but we're told to open their eyes by the power of God and the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important for us to learn the word. Okay, let's continue to look at the Bible says about Satan, how to recognize him. In Revelation 12:9, it says he is called the deceiver. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angel were cast out with him. Remember in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where it says he has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers. In here, it says the whole world. This is why it's so important for us to be reading the Bible every day so we won't be deceived. In John 4, 8.44, it says, He was a murderer and a liar. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of him his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. In Matthew 4, 3, it says that he was the tempter. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, We do not have a high priest who is able to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So here we see Jesus is tempted too, and he understands how hard it is to resist temptation. I believe that temptation is one of the ways that the devil uses most to destroy people's lives. Many people are addicted to drugs, alcohol, pornography, gambling, sex, and much more. But God is always there when we're ready to turn away from them. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, this would be a good memory verse for all you guys. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And with the temptation will always make a way of escape that you'll be able to bear it. When we're all tempted by something, each of us is. But God will not give us more than we can handle and will always give us a way of escape. We just need to take it. In James 1.13 it says, that we are tempted. No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted, listen to this, when they are drawn away by their own evil desires and enticed. The devil knows our weaknesses are, so be very careful. He's just waiting to pounce on us. In Revelation 12.10 it says, He is the accuser of the brethren. When I heard a voice say in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. In John 1, 5, 19 it says, He was the wicked one. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. First Peter 5, 8 says, He's like a roaring lion. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. So don't let him devour us. So we see that he is the God of this age, the deceiver, a murderer, a liar, a tempter, accuser of the brethren, the wicked one, and he's like a roaring lion. Remember in the beginning when I read those three things, 
If you know your enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. So we need to know the enemy, how he works. Let's read a little bit from the book of Job. You guys all read the book of Job, right? Now let's see what the enemy is capable of doing. Remember, as we read this, don't be afraid. Satan can't touch us without God's permission. So don't be nervous. In Job 1, 1, it says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. The seven, he had seven sons and three daughters that were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on the appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job was sent to sanctify them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did this regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And the messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were feeding beside them, when the Sabaeans reigned and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I have alone escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came to him and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I have alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people. And they are all dead. And he fell to the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with any wrong. It's amazing that Satan even allows, is even allowed into heaven with God and the angels. Job has no choice or knowledge about what God is allowing Satan to do with him and his family. I love Job's response. And he fell to the ground in worship. And he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. My response would probably be, Pat whined and complained. It looks like a spiritual battle to me and a very painful one. It says that Job was blameless, feared God, and shunned evil. He was a wealthy man, and Satan said that Job wouldn't fear God if he didn't bless him so much. So God allowed Satan to take away all his possessions, and so Job still worshipped God. Job was a great example of how we should act as Christians. It's not easy, but it is doable. In James 5.10 it says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the intended end by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Always remember that. You know, some people think the Lord is always trying to destroy us and wipe us out, but it says he's very compassionate and merciful. And even though life can get really hard, the end he has for us is good. You guys probably all know this verse, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. When things are going wrong in our life, do you ever find yourself saying, why me, Lord? Why not somebody else? <laughs> I do. But I remember that God's always allowing these things in our life to make us stronger and more like him. In Romans 5, 3, and 4, it says, But we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that our suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Jesus gives us more insight in Luke twenty two thirty one. He says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brother. Remember, the enemy is always wanting to sift us like wheat. But don't forget, Jesus is always praying for us. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is always praying for us. That's an awesome thing. Sometimes I'll be praying, and it seems like God isn't hearing my prayers. But I remember the spiritual battle that's going on. And I keep on praying no matter what. Let's see why. You guys probably all know the story in Daniel 10. Daniel's praying and it says, Suddenly, a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was still speaking this word to me, I I stood trembling and he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I have been left alone there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to the people in the latter days, for the vision refers to yet many days to come. This verse helps us see what goes on behind the curtain, doesn't it? It shows how the enemy can actually hinder the answering of our prayers. There's a spiritual bow behind the scenes, right? As we're praying, things are going on behind that we don't see. What would happen if Daniel stopped praying at 19 days instead of 21? He might not have the information from the book of Daniel, right? And we wouldn't understand the end times as well. The angel that came to Daniel seems to be Gabriel, who interpreted everything 
other revelations Daniel had in chapters 8 and 9. And he wasn't able to get to them for 21 days until the Michael, the chief angel, came to help him. Many of us are praying for healing or salvation for someone we know. So don't give up. Keep praying, you guys. Don't give up. If we look back in the Bible, we could follow a trail at different times that the enemy tried to stop the plans in the invisible war that's going on behind us. <clears throat> he tries to put an end to the Jewish line and to stop the Messiah from fulfilling all the scriptures that it says. But remember, it's written before it even happens, right? So Satan's not going to change it. But I'm going to go through a handful of scriptures here and see if you see the enemy behind the scenes, behind the spiritual curtain. In Genesis 3.15 it says, after, try, after Satan tried to... Excuse me. After Satan tried to cause the fall of mankind by enticing Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, it says in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, Jesus, will crush your head and you, Satan, will strike his heel. Jesus will have a minor setback, but Satan will have a major setback. Then we see in Genesis 4.1, Satan inspires Cain to kill Abel. Abel is dead and Cain becomes cursed. Satan thinks that he just wiped out the line of the person that would crush his head. Then we go to Genesis 4.25. Next we see Adam and Eve. They give birth to Seth and God raises up another line. He always has an answer, doesn't he? Genesis 6 to 8 said the word become so evil that God destroyed everyone. Excuse me. The world became so evil that God destroyed everyone except Noah and his wife his three sons and their three wives. Genesis chapter 12 through 30, we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob come along. And then in chapter 27, it says, Then Satan inspires Esau to kill Jacob because of the blessing that Isaac had given to Jacob. Exodus 1.16 says, The Pharaoh in Egypt tells the midwives to kill all the male newborn Hebrews. This is another attempt of Satan to destroy the Jewish line where the Messiah would come through. First Samuel 19, another attempt. Satan tries, entices <clears throat> King Saul to kill David because David is in the royal line of the Messiah. Remember, the Messiah comes through David. In Second Kings 11, it says, When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. But Joash was hidden for seven years, and they made him king. So Satan tries again to wipe out the chosen line, but God always has a plan to keep it around. Matthew 2.16 says, Then Satan inspired Herod to kill all the babies from two years old and under, again trying to wipe out the seed of the Messiah. But in John 19.30 it says, Satan thought he had defeated Jesus when he died on the cross only to be disappointed when Jesus rose from the grave in chapter 20. Amen? So if we have learned what the enemy's like in his power, what can we do about it? We prepare for battle, but how? Glad you asked. Oh. I know there are a few people in the church that have fought in real battles in the United States. I've talked to a few of you guys out there that really fought in battles. And I'll bet if you ask them, they would tell how serious it is and how important it is to be ready before we go to war. 
Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand against the wiles or schemes and plans of the devil. You've probably all seen pictures of the Roman soldier. You've probably seen him at church. They put him up on the board. Have you ever noticed that they never come out without their helmet on or other parts? They're always fully dressed, right? And like I said, you talk to the guys in this church that have been to battle. I'm sure they didn't forget things when they went to battle. If we start a day without part of the armor on, the enemy always seems to injure us. Some people say they put on the armor before they even get out of bed. It's not a bad idea. Remember when we talked about this earlier. Verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you'll be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We're told to stand. Just hold your ground. Remember who's fighting the battle. It's the Lord's battle. It's not our battle, right? In Second Kings 6, 8, there's a little story about whose battle it is. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. As the enemy came down toward him, Elijah prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elijah had asked. Then it says, So the bands of the Arams stopped raiding the Israeli territory. I'll bet they did. This kind of battle, how can you win, right? First it says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, or the belt of truth buckled around your waist. A belt was necessary to hold up your loose-fitting clothing for battle. Victory in spiritual warfare always starts with truth. Today we have a problem with truth. They don't know what truth is anymore. Everywhere you go, they have to redefine everything. In John 1.17 it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 17.17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification is being set apart or the process of making you holy. So as we read and understand God's word, we are being filled with truth. First thing we should do is to open the word and learn it, right? Everybody has a Bible, I hope, here, and they're reading it every day. The belt was one of the first pieces to put on. It was the foundation of the armor. It held its sword and its breastplate on. Some of you may have been bank tellers, and I heard that while you're in training, they handle real money all the time. And when they're familiar with it, the teachers will throw in some counterfeit money so they can feel when they have a counterfeit bill in their hand. Their fingers become sensitized to the truth. We know, when we know God's word, we can tell when someone has incorrect doctrine. You probably talk to people and you're all, where did you get that? That's not in the Bible. If I said to you, we are saved through works, you would instantly know that we are saved by grace through faith and not works, right? As you read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Second, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was a piece of leather that covered the heart and other vital organs in the battle. 
Righteousness is being right before God, holy, just, according to the divine law. Second Timothy 3.16 says that all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. As we put on truth and God's word, the result is we become righteous through Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We can't be righteous without God. Don't forget that. In Matthew 5.20 it says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. We can't be good enough without Jesus on our own, can we? It's only by his blood that we're ever able to go to heaven. And everyone's read the good person test in the back, right? If you haven't, you might grab one on the way out. Third, verse 15 says, Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace means that through Jesus, we can be at peace with God. Does everyone remember how we felt when we were first saved? How the peace of God just kind of filled your whole body and your heart and mind? Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the kind of peace that we have when the world is having terrible problems and we can still be at peace. You ever watch the news and and just be at peace no matter what? No matter what's going on, you know that God is in control, right? In the end, we'll be blessed. So never fear what the world can give. Mark 4.35 says, That day is coming, and evening came, when he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowds behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, and so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Amen. Who is this? When you have Jesus in your boat or in your life, you can always be at peace. We can have peace as we watch the news and the words falling apart no matter what's going on in our life. In every situation, he's with us. Fourth, above all, taking the shield of faith, which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. This is usually a large leather shield that was soaked in water to put out the flaming arrows of the enemy. Faith in God's promises to put out the lies of the enemy. First John 5, 4 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So do we have faith? Amen. We need faith to be about the promises of God to battle the enemy. Fifth, it says, and take the helmet of salvation. A Christian's mind is where the enemy attacks the most. Assurance of salvation is so very important. Pastor Bill has constantly given us tools in our toolbox for the different memory verses. In Acts 16.30, you guys probably already have this one memorized. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, 
What must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. In Romans 10, 9, 10, it's another memory verse for us. The people say, How do I get saved? This is how you tell them. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For it's with your heart you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Once we're saved, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our salvation. People sometimes tell you, you can lose your salvation, right? But you can't. The Bible says that we're given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our salvation. 2 Corinthians one twenty two. 2 Corinthians 5, five and Ephesians one thirteen tells us that he gave it as a guarantee. And it's not like the world's guarantees. He actually backs his guarantees. Okay. Sixth, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the only offensive weapon that we have. The sword, which is the Word of God. Matthew 4, one says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It's also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. He said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And the angels came and attended to him. Jesus used the word of God to combat the devil. And so should we, right? We have no other way to do it. Notice that the devil uses God's word out of context. So be very careful. Some people use the word of God out of context. Verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We always need to be in prayer. Remember, the flesh has no power in this area. The battle can only be fought by God and through prayer. Pastor Bill just finished teaching us about the Holy Spirit and where we get our power, remember? Acts eight says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, get with Rudy or Sarah or Sandy or somebody, one of the leaders, and get... A little prayer that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit so he'll empower you for service. Chuck Smith said that the greatest need for the church today is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Remember what we should do to prepare for the attacks of the enemy. Know the word of God. When Jesus was being tempted by Satan, he doesn't say, I'm God, get away from me. He rebukes him and uses the word of God. It's the only way that we can win in any spiritual battle. Know the enemy, the God of this age, the deceiver. He's a murderer, a liar. He tempts us. He accuses us. He's the wicked one. He's like a roaring lion. Keep yourself in prayer is number three. 
And number four, put on the armor of God every day. I was watching a 50-year-old sermon the other day by Billy Graham. And he was teaching about the signs of the time, second coming of Jesus, and the end of the world. Not to scare us, but to prepare us, right? It's much closer now, and we need to be ready. Romans thirteen twelve says, The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Amazing. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. Put on Jesus every day. That's what your armor is. You're putting on Jesus every day, right? We need to remember to do all these things to be in battle. In John 19.30, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, It is finished. Our sins have been paid for. Very soon, <clears throat> all our armor is in the... Excuse me. All our spiritual armor is to be used in a war. And that war has already been won, right? Jesus has already won the war. Very soon, Jesus Christ will come back to the earth and set up God's kingdom. Satan will be bound and cast in the abyss. Then we'll be at peace as Jesus reigns for a thousand years. I can't wait. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word, and we just pray that we apply it to our lives. We pray that you would guard us from the enemy. Help us to be aware of his schemes and and all the ways he works. Just help us to be a light for you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen.